Welcome back to another episode of Whisk Pro Sports. My name is Jesse McNamara. I am the host of Whisk Pro Sports, where we recap the last week in the Packers, the Bucks, and the Brewers. Podcast can be found on Apple, Spotify, Google, pretty much everywhere I'd assume by now. Sometimes it messes up, but oh well. I, I really don't even know what to do when that happens. This one, this week, this past week is probably out of the 18 episodes so far will be the most difficult to recap because it just, it was a weird week. I mean, the Packers finally played a worthy opponent for the first time in a month. The Bucks lost for the first time in over a month and the Brewers, I was really hoping they would simplify this for me by just making some signings that would really just fill the gaps and I mean, make a lot of sense. They did the first part. They signed a lot of players, but I I mean, nobody really is making much sense of it. There's there's a lot of a lot left to be um, told for the off season. So I'll do my best to get through all of it, but um, this should be a fun one. So let's get right into the Packer game from Sunday. So like I said, the Packers finally played an actual opponent that we thought had a realistic chance of beating them um, because the last you know few weeks. I mean, last week it was Washington. The week before it was the Giants. Not really worried about those teams. So you get to you get to the Bears game, and this this uh, I didn't I was at the game, so I didn't get to see all the replays that everybody else saw. Uh, I didn't get to hear about all the ref controversy as much as everybody else did. All I'll say about the Tremont thing is, I mean, on that punt return from, I mean, I'm not anywhere near uh, the field like the like the refs are that are right there, but. From what everybody said, from what it seemed like, it was a bang-bang play. It looked like it should have been called a penalty. It looked like it should have given him room. They made the call. It's not like it was a whole game changer. I don't know how the Bears can be 7-7 seven and seven and just complain so much about um, calls still. That's pretty pretty crazy to me. But that was the main hot topic, and we've talked about – we talk about refs so much that I'm just done talking about the refs because we the Packers are 11-3. and three. And that is tied for the best record in the NFC with three other teams. So, yeah, these last few weeks are going to be fun. But back to the Bears game. Packers won 21-13. They, as always, came out ready to go on the first uh, the first couple possessions. Right away, they scored the touchdown. And then, of course, couldn't score the rest of the half. The Bears got three back. Wasn't really worried about anything. But, I mean... Seven points on the first drive. It's just it was just too much of what we've always seen. Having the first fifteen plays scripted out for you, it always works better for us. And after that, it goes downhill. A lot of promise when you come out the third quarter and you score two touchdowns immediately in the first seven minutes of the or eight minutes of the second half. You get another two touchdowns, you just boost yourself right up to the twenty-one to three. Feeling pretty good after that. Then the offense could not just they just couldn't hold themselves on the field and the defense eventually got worn down it was really cold out there it was i think real field was below 10 and the defense was just out there so much they just they eventually got worn down and gave up 10 points in that fourth quarter and even the bears even had that chance to win and not going to lie, pretty scary. It would seems like something that would happen to the Packers. Uh, just kind of ruin their chances at the two seed with uh, a lateral play that, I mean, Bears fans all really think that if he if he pitched it at the end there to Allen Robinson, they would have made it in. Seems pretty hopeful, but you never know. Uh, nevertheless, it didn't happen. The 
Packers did win. And luckily the Bears play calling is pretty much just as is a bit it's almost a bigger mess than the Packers are. So I think the big highlight is is uh especially from the Bears offense is Trubisky threw fifty-three times. Fifty-three attempts for Trubisky, uh compared to twenty-seven rushing attempts on the ground. Big part of that is they're rushing. I mean, no runs really broke for anything. They had a long of nine, which was Mitch. Tariq and Montgomery each had a long of eight uh, on a, on their carries. But, I mean, Montgomery only averaged 2.8 yards on 14 carries, and Cohen had eight carries for an average of three and a half. They didn't even, I mean, the total of the, uh, the Chicago running game between Dave Montgomery, Tariq Cohen, Mitch Trubisky, and uh, Cordero Patterson got a carry too. They didn't make it to 100 yards. Can't say much, though, because Green Bay got exactly to 100, albeit on three less carries. Um, and, I mean, the averages weren't impressive either. Aaron Jones at 3.9 and Jamal at 3.3. Got the big one, though. They did get the touchdown. Aaron Jones obviously got two touchdowns. Touchdowns are the name of the game. QB comparison, though, is pretty weird here because Rodgers did not have a great game either. A little bit better than Trubisky. Uh, at least from what the uh, QBR and the ratings show, but Rodgers just doesn't throw interceptions. I don't know why that's such an issue to people. People have an issue actually with the way he doesn't throw interceptions. They're like he's not taking enough chances. I don't know. I think we, I think we see him throwing enough in coverage that, or we just gonna accept him. Maybe he's just good at this. Whatever. Trubisky, twenty nine to fifty three, three hundred thirty four yards, a touchdown. And two picks. Obviously, one of those picks was just at the end of the first half, so it's not really a, an important pick. But the second one was. That was a very impressive play by Dean Lowry. That was pretty awesome, not going to lie. Rodgers, I mean, 16 of 33, less than half of his attempts he completed uh, for 203 yards and a single touchdown. He's only sacked once, which was a really uh, nice thing to see because the last few weeks, that's been a big issue of getting rid of the ball, especially against a Bears defense with uh, with Akeem Hicks back. You had to become come ready. Uh, the receiving core, the the Chicago receivers were just better, pretty much in every measure. Devontae was outright our best receiver with seven catches for 103 yards, and of course that touchdown on that fourth and four that was that was awesome. But next, the, I mean, next is Jake Kumro with a single catch for 49 yards. And the next is Gmo, Geronimo Allison with two for 19. Alan Lazard only getting three targets, two catches for 14 yards. And then one catch each for Jamal, Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tanyan, and Jimmy Graham. And even MVS got a target. That's a really long list. Let's just quick look over at the Bears, what they had. Allen Robinson, seven catches, 125. Anthony Miller, nine catches, 118. Tariq Cohen, seven catches for 57. If we're, I mean, this is exactly what the Packers should be doing. If we're translating that to what the Packers should have been, it should have been Allen Robinson equals Devonta Adams with the seven catches. I mean, they basically did. That's that's where they got it right. Anthony Miller should be the equivalent of Allen Lazard. Allen Lazard should be getting 15 targets like Anthony Miller did. I mean, that he's proven that he should. Obviously, we didn't throw it as much as the – we threw 20 less times. But, I mean, 
eight, nine targets a game for Lazard isn't crazy, especially if Adams is going to be getting 13 and we're going to be spreading it out to, and we're going to be giving guys like Gmo four targets. That's, that's so painful to see. Um, and then it should be, I mean, Aaron Jones should be up there where, where Tariq Cohen is with three, with uh, Tariq Cohen at seven for 57. That's exactly uh, the kind of thing that we should see Aaron Jones doing. Yet Aaron Jones didn't get a single reception this game. It's getting really frustrating at this point. And I think a lot of people are frustrated that we're at the point of the season where you go to your best guys and you go to them until you just can't anymore. And we haven't even tried once going with the trio attack of Devante Lazard and Aaron Jones. And that makes absolutely no sense. And I mean, obviously it could make sense if you had other guys you were throwing to like that actually had potential, but Jimmy Graham has shown us almost nothing this year. The only way you hit Jimmy Graham is if he is wide open 15 yards or less and let him run for a few extra yards. Cause he can run after the catch. But other than that, he's pretty useless. The other tight ends, I mean, you, you find them right. But I mean, Geronimo Allison, I that guy shouldn't even step on the field ever, ever. There is no, absolutely no. I mean, Marquez Marquez has been not very. He hasn't shown up for weeks. I think a lot of that is the play calling and stuff. But him, he just can't get separation on anybody. He's a deep threat, and that's it. And he even missed the one chance he got. But Geronimo should not be getting four targets. The second most targets for the Packers went to Geronimo Allison. He has shown us for 14 straight weeks that he cannot catch. And when he does, he can't hold on to it. He can't make play. He's just awful. He's just awful. I don't know what else to say. It's really frustrating. I I don't know, man. We're we're only we got two weeks left of the regular season, and then we got to make a decision what we're gonna do uh, with all these guys. If we keep playing them, we're just gonna find ourselves in a situation where. There, it's just gonna be. You can't mess up in the playoffs. There's such a fine line for mess ups that, I mean, our defenses can step up. They do get takeaways. That's that's the one plus of the defense. But you just gotta at least give your offense the the best opportunity, especially with Aaron Rodgers. Let him. He knows who's who's gonna catch it. He trusts in Devante. He trusts Lazard. He definitely trusts Jake Kumaro. I don't know how he could trust Gmo or Marquez at this point in time. It's it's unreal. Okay, quick little defense. Here we go again. Blake Martinez at the top of the tackling list. He really hasn't been that bad lately. I was, I think uh, two weeks ago I was talking about how he just, all of his tackles are five, six yards down the field. Still a lot of those, but he absolutely is making an effort to, uh, to try and push that back. Even had a half a tackle for a loss on Sunday. Jair, again, uh, at the top of the tackles list with eight. He has been just absolutely a monster. He is a sticky, sticky cornerback in man-to-man. And that, I mean, he he, he blew up that uh, that screenplay. I don't remember who that was to, but he blew up the screenplay on the right side of the field. And he's done that so many times this year. That's just not something that every, every corner can do. And, that, I mean, that's a huge thing. That's the difference between, I mean, he got no yards, maybe a loss for a couple. I mean, he gets around him like, most of the cornerbacks you win this league, that's an easy eight-yard gain every single time. So to just shut that down right away and really eliminate anybody wanting to go towards Jair, pretty big. Kenny Clark right there with Jair with eight tackles. Kenny Clark has been absolutely insane. He had two sacks. He's been 
just unreal, perfect replacement for Mike Daniels. Just it's been going great there with uh, with another. I mean, it's been awesome. I do want to quickly just touch on Haha ha Clinton Dix. That was also a viral video I saw after uh, after the game. Uh, I think maybe it was Monday. I finally saw it where Haha ha was the one who missed the tackle when Kumaro made the cutback on his one catch. It, it was flashbacks of him and Green and Gold of Haha ha and Green and Gold. A quick dive right at him, like it's, this is going to be the monster play that I that I save right here. Oh no, completely whiff. Just whoop. Gone. See ya. Laying on the ground. Nice to see him do that for uh for the blue and the orange. Other than that, can't complain too much. I mean, the defense was I can't complain about that at all. They they just got broken down at the end and they gave up ten points at the end. Not a big deal. It's the offense that's that I'm a little bit more worried about, and if I'm going to be wor- if I have to be worried about one of the two, it would be the offense. And quick last thing to touch on, which I completely just I think I just completely blanked on it last week. Tyler Irvin, number thirty-two, our new uh, returner, like straight from the heavens, right? I mean, we I have never I've never seen such bad kick and punt returning ever all year we just went backwards 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 all of a sudden this dude just steps in and every single play he's making the right play every single time he is fair catching everything he should he is returning it whenever he has a chance and he's getting good returns he had that kick return before the half to like the 46 yard line those just those that's how you you gotta take advantage of that kind of stuff when you have an asset like that that's huge like oh i just feel so much better with tyler Irvin getting the ball back there he just knows what he's doing he hasn't had any anything close to a screw up, and that's a huge difference because almost everybody we've had has messed up. Even when Tremont had to go in for that one punt return because uh, Irvin had to go to the locker room, which I'm not sure why, but I mean he came back, so not worried about it. Tremont even had, I mean, I, it wasn't really a mess up, but by the rule, apparently, it should have been a, a live ball, Bears ball. So just we gotta, you we just gotta be thankful that we have Tyler Irvin, we have Aaron Rodgers, we have Aaron Jones. Devonta Adams for 11 and three tied for the best record in all in in all of the NFC with the Seahawks, the Saints and the Niners. Obviously, the Niners hold the the tiebreaker over us. Basically, what we're rooting for here in the next two weeks is the 49ers or the Seahawks to lose in alternating weeks in the next two weeks. So Seahawks want to win next week. We need the 49ers to lose and then switch that up the next week and the Packers went out and we get the one seed much more likely is we went out and get the two seed very possible as we only have the Vikings and the Lions left if we if we beat the Vikings I see no way we lose to the Lions but the Vikings are a real team they just beat they went out west and played San Diego and won 39 to 10 where if you remember the Packers played probably their worst game of the season um in in San Diego so heading up to Minnesota for that game it's gonna be in the dome I'm not heading up Packers are but I wish but yeah I mean you lose that one and I mean if you win next week you're still good to go in the playoffs I believe we'd even still be ahead of the Vikings for that but I mean you win this week you pretty much lock up the the NFC North and basically a two seed if you can just take care of business in the last week where 
You're playing a Detroit team that probably won't even have Matthew Stafford in the game. There's really no reason for them to have him in the game. You, you just got to feel good. 11-3 and three in the very first season as a head coach, Matt LaFleur, and he did it. I mean, every single game he's winning is a new record for a first-year head coach for the Green Bay Packers, a story franchise. That's pretty cool. And he might even be able to push it to 13. That's just... That's just crazy, man. That's awesome. All righty. Enough Packers. Let's move on to the Bucks. The Bucks, man, the Bucks are on, at least in the Eastern Conference, they're on their own level. And there's actually quite a lot to talk about right now because I believe last week we only had two games to talk about, and one of those was just annihilating the Clippers. So even then... I didn't have much more to talk about than what we did really well and what the Clippers didn't do very well and how they matched up. Since last podcast, there has been five games, especially because I waited the extra day. Uh, there was a game yesterday, Monday as well. Lots to talk about. So I think I'm going to stick with the system that if there is one single game in the last week to talk about, I'm probably going to focus on that simply because the Bucks are so much better than the teams that – I mean, they just finished off an 18-game win streak. There's only so much you can talk about when a lot of those teams in there aren't very good. And especially, I mean, the the 15 through 18 games were Orlando, who, I mean, they're good, but not that good. They were also missing their their all-star, Nikola Vucevic. So that should have been an easy win. And it wasn't easy, but it was a win. Then Wednesday was New Orleans without Zion Williamson. They still have good players, but they're just not a complete team at all. Memphis without uh, John Morant. They're the rookie phenom, probably rookie of the year. And then Cleveland on Saturday for the second of a back-to-back. And, I mean, Cleveland is just garbage. So those four games would have been the usual if I had done the podcast yesterday, but I waited an extra day. And, of course, the game last night had to happen. If you follow the Bucks, they went into last night's game against the Dallas Mavericks. With a 18-game winning streak, too short of the franchise record, and the Mavericks were going to be without Luka Doncic. So, if you kind of notice the theme, we've been playing a lot of teams without their best players, and Dallas is Dallas is the first one in a while that is still very competent without him. So, Luka, Luka Doncic is an MVP candidate right now. He's right up there with Giannis. Honestly, it's almost hard to pick. Obviously, I'm a homer, and I'm going to go with Giannis. But for a lot of people, it's hard to pick, and I don't blame him. He's having an insane year. Uh, when he's on the court, the the Dallas Mavericks have the number one offensive rating in the league, which is essentially the best way to tell, just say that they have the best offense in the league. And uh, even when he's off the court, they have the third best offense in the league, if you were to compare. So... Losing Luka isn't a huge, I mean, it's a huge deal, obviously. You're missing an MVP, but their offense is still an absolute juggernaut and better than better than the Bucks' offense is when they don't have Giannis, and especially uh, in a game like yesterday where Giannis had to do basically everything. The, the Mavericks don't play defense, though. That was the thing, and it was it was just a single game of, it was a single game of, just terrible shooting combined with just le- just these they were just hitting these crazy insane shots right i mean seth curry 
Steph's brother, uh, Kristaps Porzingis, all these dudes were just, they were just hitting all these threes that they wouldn't normally make. And I mean, Seth Curry has had insane games like this before. It's not like it's a new thing, but he made almost every single floater he, he went in for. He hit all like so many threes. He was creating for himself. It was honestly incredibly impressive, if I'm, if I'm being honest. But as a Bucks fan, I mean, we're a bad perimeter team. We're not a bad paint team. We're actually a fantastic paint team. Brooke Lopez and Robin Lopez hold the paint down. But where we run into problems is when the other team has a stretch five as well. Uh, a Brooke Lopez, similar type player. And Kristaps Porzingis is exactly that. If you saw some of those threes he was hitting, he was seven, eight feet out from the top of the key. Just smacking them, man. Oh, it was just the most frustrating. Just It was a jaw-dropping experience to watch that because it just hurts. It's not like, I mean, we have bad perimeter defense, but there's nothing you can do about a seven-footer smacking 35-footers. There's nothing you can do about that. And especially when he's able to, you know, take you out. When you're when you're playing guys like like Andre Drummond and guys that just can't shoot, you don't have to go anywhere. Brooke Lopez, Robin Lopez, those big guys can just stay in the paint. There's nobody to guard the paint yesterday, and it showed. They they just annihilated us in in almost every facet. And the final score was only one twenty to one sixteen, but it really seemed much bigger than that. The only reason it was so close is uh, a combination of the Mavericks down the stretch, letting the Bucks get, you know, get their two pointers while they shoot free throws. They just happened to miss a lot of free throws at the end. All of a sudden it was kind of weird. It was a really weird ending, but basically the Bucks were down 13 with three minutes to go essentially over. They had taken Giannis out and then all of a sudden made a weird run to where they were within three, got the rebound um, off of a Giannis miss Giannis. I mean, he got to the line by hitting an and one on a guy on a play where the defense had no intention of doing anything like that. It was it was crazy and one play. Misses the free throw, which isn't ideal, but what was ideal was we got the rebound with a timeout left. Uh, Sterling Brown, uh, still a young player, didn't really have doesn't have a feel for this kind of thing. He doesn't really have a feel for the game right now, but he's a whole other case. He just tried to go up with the ball right away instead of even though we were down three points instead of you know kicking it out or calling our timeout with about five seconds left. He goes up with it. Chris Stapps Porzingis, who is like six inches taller than him, I mean, just stuffs it right back into his face. It goes off Sterling's arm, out of bounds, game over. But it shouldn't have come down to that. It, it shouldn't have even been that close. Dallas just Dallas was just better. They shot 47% from the field, made 16 threes, uh, 39%. And the Bucs only made 11 threes on 27%. It, it was a story of Giannis and Korver versus everybody else. Uh, I have mentioned this before. I write for a site called Scotty sports talk after every Bucks game. I got the recaps. So I did uh, crunch the numbers on the stats from last night's game. And I basically put it as a, as a Giannis versus the rest of the starters and Corver versus the rest of the bench. And then at the end summarized Corver and Giannis against the uh, rest of the Bucks team. We'll just go with that right now. Giannis and Korver combined to shoot 24 of 39 from the field, which is 62%, and 6 for 13 from deep, which is, I mean, that was almost all Korver. Korver was 5 for 7, Giannis only 1 for 6. But still, you know, you got to throw in those numbers. If I'm going to combine them, I can't uh, pick and choose what percentages. There's from the field and there's from deep. So 61.5% from the field and 46% from deep. The rest of the Bucks shot 20 of 66, which is 30%. 
and five for 28 from deep, which is 18%. So on nearly 30 less shots, Giannis and Korver made four more shots than the rest of the team. And on less than half the threes, they made more threes. That's just, that'll sum it up. If you're playing a good team like the Mavericks, who are top three right now in the Western Conference, if you're going to do something like, like just not show up, nearly the whole team is just, it's just something we're not used to. And that's why I'm not really that worried about it because we haven't seen this before where they don't show up because that's why it's gotten so like almost boring to talk about how good the Bucks are because they don't really do anything wrong that we're not expecting to like we know they're not going to guard the perimeter well but it's clearly been a fine system for 38 straight days without losing it just happened to be that yesterday chris middleton awful game brooke lopez awful west matthews started good two for two on threes then was awful and even dante he was flying around the defense he makes some great defensive plays he had three steals again nine assists 10 rebounds just awful on just shooting i mean you can do so many good things in the NBA, but if you can't shoot, you're just going to lose the game, especially the way that the Mavericks are shooting. And now we're getting into the the trade season. So basically, uh, the best way to sum this up is December 15th, which was Sunday, 90% of the league became eligible. So most of the guys that signed in the summer, you're not eligible to be traded right away. You have to wait till December 15th, and then you're good to go. So... The main time frame for trading in the NBA is December 15th to February 6th. Uh, I also saw a stat that I don't have the exact numbers, but after uh, mid-January is when most of them happen. So I wouldn't expect anything in the next month big to happen. It's uh, such a wide range that really what people are trying to, or what teams are trying to do is figure out if their team is actually a contender for this year or if they want to rebuild uh, and maybe try to move some more useful pieces for more prospects and just, you know, Defer to next year. Obviously, the Bucs are going to be on the contending side. There's only so much you can do with a contending team like the Bucs right now. If you went 18 straight, you don't really want to mess with that chemistry. I would say if I am saying the untouchables right now, if I'm marking who is definitely not going to be traded, obviously not Giannis. Obviously not Chris. And I think to most people, those are the only two obvious ones, Giannis and Chris. I... I'm also going to put Dante DiVincenzo on that list. I think he has way too much upside. He's improving way too quickly. Eric Bledsoe, I know a lot of people think he's a really good candidate to get traded. I don't think we're appreciating enough how good he has been for the price we're paying. At four years, $90 million, he is playing at the level of guys that are earning just much more money than he is. He is great for the defense. He can drive uh, something that a lot of this team uh, right now they just can't do. They're not great finishers. Just the number one thing people don't like is that Eric Bledsoe is bad in the playoffs two years in a row. I can't blame him, and there's also nothing he can do about it until the next playoffs come around. And if they move him, they move him, but I think he is fitting so well with the team that you just can't mess with something like that. So I think Eric Bledsoe is going to stay. Also, he did uh, he did suffer a minor fracture in his lower leg. I don't think I mentioned that, but he'll be out a few weeks. It doesn't seem like a huge deal, but he is going to be out a little bit. Um, so we'll just have to monitor that. Wes Matthews, I think he will stay. Brooke Lopez, I bet you he'll stay. I really think it could come down to uh, when we're looking at the bench. 
Ursan is probably going to be up for grabs. I could see DJ. I don't think a lot of people would agree with me, but I think DJ could absolutely go somewhere. Sterling could. Maybe, maybe Robin. The thing is, the the Bucks just have. Uh, there's not really much of a difference between the very essential players like George Hill and stuff like that, and the up and coming prospects who we need to see what what they're going to be. I just think I think it's going to be tough. We're going to have to wait. We're just going to have to wait and see. A lot of things can change in a month and a half. And I absolutely expect a move will be made. I think we will absolutely add somebody like a J.J. Redick or a, a Covington. But we have no idea right now. We don't even know who is going to be willing to trade players. And you have to remember when you're evaluating it, ESPN Trade Machine is a great way to go if you want to see if your trade could work because you'll have a lot of great ideas in your head and you'll throw it in the trade machine and you realize it's not even possible. Because in the NBA, you have to match salaries and that can be really difficult to do especially when you're a team like the Milwaukee Bucks, a, a market where you pretty much pay a couple guys a lot of money and some and the rest of them you just kind of pick up on smaller deals. And guys that are most traded are in between. So we'll have to see what happens with the Bucks. But for summing up where they are right now, they are 24-4, and four, number one, firmly number one in the Eastern Conference, and they play the biggest game of the season for anybody on Thursday. Absolutely tune into that. They are playing at the Los Angeles Lakers at Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee at 7 o'clock on national TV. It's the biggest game of the year. The Lakers are on an insane. I mean, they're they're doing they're matching the Bucks basically. I think they are 24 and 3 right now. They I believe they play tonight. If they win tonight, they're a game ahead of Milwaukee. It doesn't really matter. We're worried about the Eastern Conference, but LA Lakers, obviously the most covered team in the NBA. And when they have, and we've got to see the perfect example of the difference between a huge market and a tiny market with this, because the Lakers and the Bucks have been neck and neck for weeks now, and the Lakers' coverage is so far extending. I mean, they have LeBron and AD. It makes sense. I'm not saying it doesn't make sense, but it has been kind of cool to see when the teams are parallel how much different the coverage can be. But yep, that's that. That's the big one. That's the huge step. Uh, the huge next step for the Bucks is you know beating a. Being really the last team that is considered on their level right now. The Clippers are also considered there and annihilated them. The Lakers are going to be much more difficult than the Clippers were a couple weeks ago. It's going to be a absolute brutal battle. I think we can do it. If you watched, I mean, I didn't expect anybody to, but the Lakers Heat played last weekend, or this past weekend, a game that I really wanted to watch. I did get a chance to watch it. The Heat had that game if they had anybody that could box out Anthony Davis. They had nobody. Bam Adebayo was their biggest guy that they had on the court at the end of the at the end of the game. They gave up a million offensive rebounds, it seemed like. They just couldn't, and they only lost by like three. I mean, I think the way that the effort, the energy, getting rebounds, all those little things is going to come into play more than the shot making because Lakers don't have as good of shooters as the Bucks do. They're just a really good team with really good players individually, and they're really meshing pretty well. I think the Bucks have a really good chance, but it will be the biggest game of the season, and I'm just beyond excited. So definitely tune in for that. Let's move on now to their Milwaukee counterparts, the Brewers, who are another just, just a weird case. The Brewers, the Brewers, the Brewers, man. We knew, I mean... We knew there was a lot of holes to fill here. We were looking at 
a few starting pitching players. We need, yeah, we need a few starting pitchers. We needed corner infielders, and apparently we needed outfielders. I didn't know that, but apparently we needed a lot. It's, it's. I thought we would just fill in the spots nicely. You know, get a big pitcher, maybe a a, a bigger third baseman, find maybe re-sign Eric Thames for first base. And just kind of roll back with that. Maybe if the biggest changes would be in like the starting lineup. You know, we already got Urias and uh, Nervaeus. I was just, I mean, my hopes were are, are gone. I don't even know what to think right now. I've tried listening to all the Brewers writers, reading their stuff, listening to their podcasts. Nobody really knows what to make in any of this. So I will just do, just do all I can. First, this is a recap podcast. So let's just recap what's happened since last week because I've already talked about getting Luis Urias and we already talked about Nervaeus. A lot's happened since then too. So let's just start with the, the pitchers. I thought this was one area where we'd grab a clear ace and we just didn't. There's nothing else to say. The Brewers have picked up three pitchers, Eric Lauer, Brett Anderson, who I am very much not excited about, and Josh Lindblom. I I can only go as far as what Stearns is saying. He definitely believes this is still a work in progress, but Stearns doesn't like to give up much information on the Brewers. He likes to leave everything open to interpretation, and that's exactly what we're going to do. It seems like they are happy with the starting rotation. I think they're leaving the door open that in case somebody else pops up that would fit in. But it looks like the starting rotation, at least uh, or at least the outgetters, are are in place. And obviously, from from week from week one in baseball to week whatever twelve, sixteen, few months in. Especially with the Brewers, everything changes with the lineup. Some guys move into the bullpen. Bullpen guys will move to the beginning or to the uh, starting lineup. They will. Some of them will pitch two, three innings when they start. Some of them will try and get that six, seven. We never really get to see that six, seven. But I, I, with these guys, I really don't know how we have any hope for. I don't know how we thought we improved here. I guess their their numbers. None of them are very good. Especially, I'm just really. Brett Anderson really just sticks out to me because he's a ground ball guy and Hira can't pick up a ground ball to save his life. So that's a little alarming. I don't know. And especially not knowing who's going to be playing on the, on the, I mean, the whole right side of the infield could just be a whole mess for us. But uh, I mean, okay. Stearns, Stearns believes that this is the starting rotation. He's going to go with at least somewhat. There's still, obviously we still got Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta and all these other guys that we got to figure out what to do with. And there's a lot of time before the season starts and a lot of moves can still be made. The other huge signing the Brewers had was just yesterday. Avisail Garcia from the Rays, a two year, $20 million. That is the biggest deal for sure for the Brewers so far with the club option for the third year. He will get 7 million his first year, about 10 million a second. And the club option will be about 12 and a half. He has other incentives to go with it. This is a pretty good – no, I'm not as down on this as other people are. What is very weird is he is an outfielder. And if you recall, we have Christian Yelich, the MVP, Lorenzo Cain, 
was very good. He's getting old, but he's still a very good fielder. Decent bat. Abyssal does absolutely is nothing like Kane. We still have Ryan Braun, the franchise player, who's still making the most of anybody on the team, and he's sticking around. And we have Ben Gamble. We had, we, I mean, we had four very solid outfielders before this signing, with third base and first base still open, and we drop a, a ten million year contract on a, another outfielder who, who he hits really well. He's the projected stats from last year. If you were to play all of his games at Miller Park, he hit twenty home runs. If he'd played all of his games at Miller Park, he would hit 40. So somewhere in the middle there, you think hopefully he can get around 30 and hit around 270. That's a solid hitter. That is the exact type of guy the Brewers need. The problem is it was at a position where they have already too much. So this is where a lot of skepticism and interpretation comes in. Ryan Braun has played some first base, but he's not the greatest first baseman. He's also right. You'd prefer a lefty at first base. Ben Gamble. He's played I think, a couple of games at first base in his career, and he's a lefty, but not really the guy you're looking for there. And especially with Braun being older, Kane being older, they're going to need days off. And obviously, Yelich is staying in the outfield. Avisail Garcia has never played first base in his life. This is just a really weird situation. Clearly, the plan is for Braun to take some, have some days off and some days at first base to go along with outfield. Kane is going to have to take some days off. I don't know who plays center field when when Kane's not there. That just is going to be uh especially with Trent Grisham gone. That was the that was the fill in last year. It's going to be uh it's going to be a weird outfield. And even positions can change right now. Christian Yelich uh, plays a right field obviously. He has played left in the past. That's where he got his gold glove. And really it's up to Stearns and said it's up to Yelich where he wants to play. And then from there, I mean, Avisale was a, he's used to right field. He said he's open to playing left field. He doesn't really care. He just wants to be on a winning team. And that's all you can ask for from a guy. Um, he's a good hitter. It's just, it's just weird that we still have third base, first base open, not even a great pitching staff. And we're going to pay, uh, at least for the Brewers, that's a lot of money to pay for uh, a position where you're already kind of filled up. That also leaves open the uh, the obvious possibility that there are trades to come. I don't see a 0% chance that Yelch gets traded, a 1% or 2% chance that Kane would get traded, and I'd say Braun's in that same range. So I'd say those three are absolutely not going anywhere. I could see Ben Gamble maybe getting moved. I love Ben Gamble, it's sad to say, but... This really just doesn't make sense if we're not going to be start moving some of our players around in trades or or I don't really even know what what the possible plan is here. Just baseball is such a weird sport with how much money you're able to offer players uh, depending on the market you're in. The Brewers are on the absolute bottom of that list in terms of how much they can spend. Yeah, they still have a lot of money. They cut, obviously, we've talked about it before, they cut $70 million off their payroll already from the pr- players that have left and gone elsewhere. But if you're paying attention to the rest of the league too, especially the NSUntial, they're all getting better. All of them are. Even Wade Miley, if you remember, Wade Miley was just signed by the Reds. They're all they're all looking like the division's wide open, and the Brewers don't seem to be keeping up very well. And with only two years left with Yelich on the team, and he's, I mean, obviously, if he especially keeps up anywhere near the pace he's at, he's going to get a boatload of money that the Brewers won't be able to afford. Braun getting older, Kane getting older. 
I don't really know what we're going to do after two years. So let's focus on this two-year window, and that's why I was hoping some big big moves would be made, like Dallas Keuchel or Josh Donaldson. I really don't think Dallas Keuchel is going to happen. Josh Donaldson may be like a, like a 5% chance, and he would be a great fit. Obviously, he's an amazing player. He's already in his 30s, though. But he's just going to get money from some some other contender that can actually, you know, pay a lot more. And if the Brewers were to go Josh Donaldson, I we'd be pretty short the rest of the way. But we absolutely still need a third baseman somehow, some way. I really, I think there might be a trade there. I really hope we bring back Eric Thames. He's still open um, for first base. That would just be another weird one because we absolutely need more lefties on this team. We have, I think, seven of our or uh, six of our eight normal starters in the field will be righties right now. And at a park like Miller Park, you want to have lefties in the lineup. I really hope we bring Eric Thames back to play some first. And apparently he's he'll be, he can just be another outfield option because the more the merrier, I guess. I'm I'm just I'm not gonna I don't want to I don't want to be too I don't want to throw too wild of ideas, but the trades are probably gonna come. This starting lineup is nothing to be excited about. And we've even heard that Josh Hader is up for grabs, which he just won his second NL reliever of the year. It would be, I don't want to see him go. Cause again, man, it's hard. It's hard to be a Brewers fan right now because everything's pointing towards these last two years, kind of being the peak for a little bit. And these next two years, not going as well and losing and losing Yelich would just, you know, you're not going to do anything without a player that good. And it's, it's nearly impossible to strike gold like that again. It's just it's just a little sadder <laughs> than the other teams because we're still looking at the Packers like they they at least have a shot to get to the Super Bowl and if you're at the Super Bowl you can absolutely win it. The Bucks are looking like the favorite to get to the to get to the finals in the East and right there with the Clippers and the Lakers uh, to win it all. The Brewers are not in that discussion right now and it's not necessarily all their fault, but. And I mean, they've proven it the last two years that they know what they're doing with uh, with their signings. So I'm not totally out on this. That's not what I'm trying to say. But they haven't done anything that's really going to make you be like, "Whoa, this is we're going for it with uh, with these last few years of our best player that we've had in quite some time." That 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 can we can wrap this up because anything else I spew on the Brewers is going to be uh, it's going to be way out of left field. That was a long episode. That's pretty good. 42 minutes so far. Not bad. Not bad. Thank you guys for listening. If you are still listening at this point, I know it was a lot to get through and I'm not an exactly a professional at this. I do pull a lot of stuff from a lot of different people, but it feels like a pretty good just summary. And that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do is just create a, if you only listen to sports once a week and it's this, you're at least uh, informed on each of these teams. And you know what to expect in the future. So, again, thanks for listening. Episode 18. I will see you guys next week.